0: Hi, Attorney Steve Andrean here. So we are going to talk in this podcast um, about why I knew law school was going to be a great choice for me. And this is going to help some of you out there that may be trying to make that tough decision. Should I go to law school? Is it for me? What's it going to be like? Um, Is it, you know, so anyway, I'm going to talk a little bit about the case of R versus Dudley and Stevens. R versus Dudley and Stevens, and I hope to do a video on this. I don't know if I'm going to get around to it, but I'm certainly going to try here. But this was um, a case, and I believe it was my first year law class, uh, law school, and it was criminal law, and I remember this case, it was, it was not the very first case that I studied in law school, it was one of the first, and I remember just sort of being blown away and just going like, man, this is going to be a crazy ride to do this for two, well, actually, I went for four years at night, I went to law school at night, um, worked during the day, and went to law school at night. So, um, yeah, so one of the first cases was this R. versus Dudley and Stevens, what I call the survival cannibalism case. And this is really, um, you know, just, I remember just reading the case, and the impact it had on me, just like how... Um, just crazy. I was just like, wow, this is like insane. What would I do? You know, what should the law be? You know, what should happen? So, I'm going to talk a little bit about the case and then we'll see what you think and get your thoughts. But I will say, if you like this kind of thinking, some people may call it philosophizing, um, you know, then I think law school would would be a fascinating choice for you. If on the other hand, you hear the facts and this really doesn't sound all that interesting and you say you know I'm you know, not really my thing then maybe law school's not for you and and I don't mean that to 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 be you know trivial in any way but you need to think about you know if you're going to be going to law school for 3 4 years and paying a lot of money to do that a lot of time you want to make sure it's going to be something you like And I always say the best way is to go, you know, to go take, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to take a three-unit class that was an intro to law. So it wasn't actually law school. It was an intro to law. And it was really, really cool because I got to see if it was going to be something I liked or not. And this was the case that came up, R versus Dudley and Stevens. It's not even a case from the United States. It's a case out of England, actually. So, I'm going to tell you what happened. Okay, so this is about a sailboat. This is about a sailboat called the Mignonette. It's a 52 foot sailboat. And they wanted to take this sailboat from Southampton, England, down to Sydney, Australia. So, to get there, you got to go down around South Africa and you got to get down there to Sydney, Australia, which is towards the southern part of Australia. So um, it's a long trip, uh, I believe it was thousands of miles. And, you know, 52 foot is a pretty decent sized boat. Uh, some would say that's a yacht. Um, but at any rate, so they needed to get some people to take the boat on down. And they ended up getting four people to go on the trip. So we had Tom Dudley, he was the captain we had edward stevens he was one of the one of the uh, passengers we had edmund brooks and we had a 17 year old um cabin boy named richard parker so they got the four to go on the boat they set sail for sydney australia on may 19th 1884 so this is well over 100 years ago and Not that the oceans have changed much, but they, uh, you know, set sail and uh, everything seemed to be going fine. You know, the first weekend, the second weekend, then on around July 5th of 1884, there was a strong gale. Gale just being real heavy winds, but it wasn't so heavy that it should have, you know, capsized a normal, you know, normal sized boat or anything. But in this instance... Um it did capsize the boat. And what happened is basically the, um, the wind started really picking up. This was around, you know, coincidentally, the, quote, Cape of Good Hope. Um, so I you find something ironic in that. The uh, Cape of Good Hope didn't really provide much hope for them. And when the winds picked up, the captain, Captain, um, Dudley, he said to, he gave what's called a heave-to order, which was to slow down the boat. He said, you know, there's a lot of winds, let's just slow it down, let's get a good night's sleep, and let's get up the next day and we'll we'll figure it out. So they did the heave-ho, they slowed down the boat, um, the maneuver was completed, and then they sent down Richard Parker, the 17-year-old cabin boy, they sent him down to, you know, make some tea. At any rate, at that time, a big wave struck, I'm not sure how big, but a big wave struck and capsized them. And apparently, from the accounts, the boat sank in like five minutes. So, you know, here they are, you know, out in the essentially the middle of nowhere, 700 miles from the nearest island. If you can imagine being in the middle of the ocean, 700 miles from the nearest island, the boat sinks, and all they had to sort of stay afloat was a 13 foot lifeboat, just a little, you know, like a little dingy lifeboat and a couple oars. So here they are, the boat sank in five minutes. Um, you know, that's in, that's in July. So that's probably toward the summer. So it was probably a little bit warm, but um, so they have a lifeboat and all they were able to fetch out of the boat was some navigation equipment and two tins of turnips, two tins of turnips. Each tin of turnips had five pieces in it. There was no water. And so this is, you know, so you imagine that. I mean, I remember just reading this case and going, what the heck? I mean, what would you do? Well, to make matters worse, you know, it's like one of those survival shows, you know, um, they have to fight off a shark the next day. They're fighting off a shark with the oars. So, you know, as, as if your luck could get any worse, now you got sharks trying to attack you in this little, you know, basically little crappy boat. So, at any rate, so that's around July 5th, then you have, you know, two days later, they finally opened the first tin of the turnips, they managed to try to wait, they were obviously trying to get rescued, and hoping that some would, would come get them, but again, there was no, you know, they're in the middle of nowhere, and, um, you know, they were just hoping to be rescued. So they share the uh, five pieces of, you know, four people. They're sharing five pieces of turnips. Can't imagine that would fill anybody up. So they're eating the turnips. And on July 9th, they were fortunate enough to capture a sea turtle. So here they are. I mean, picture yourself you're starving, you're thirsty, there's no water. Um, sharks are trying to attack you, you're you're fighting, not fighting, uh, but you're sharing little pieces of turnips to stay alive. And they captured a sea turtle, and the sea turtle basically, they split it up and gave them about three pounds of meat for each of them. And apparently they also ate the bones. And they would have even drank the blood, but apparently the blood of the sea turtle got contaminated with seawater, and back in those days, I'm not sure I'm not sure if it's fatal or not, but the, the, the belief was, you know seawater is fatal if you drink it. So nobody they didn't want to touch anything that had seawater on it. Um, I think there's ways today where you can sort of distill seawater and get some water out of it, but don't ask me, I'm not an expert in this area. So at any rate, so here they are eating a sea turtle on July 9th um, you know, about four days into capsizing here on the boat, nothing to eat. Um, then they get, they basically survive into the, into the next week and they open up the second can of, of turnips splitting that five pieces each. And, you know, out there they were hoping to catch some rainwater, but there was no rain, you know, like I said, kind of in the middle of the summer. So, Um, At some point, things got so bad, you know, you have to have some water. They started drinking their urine. And, you know, I imagine you can only do that for so long before things really turn south on you. And so, you know, five days after that, into July 20th, about 15 days or two weeks into this struggle, the deckhand, the uh, the Richard Parker, the 17-year-old boy, he becomes ill, Um, the other guy, Stevens... Um, he's not feeling so well, Captain Dudley. He's like, uh, or you know, he's kind of like, well, what do we do? I think maybe we need to draw lots. And what drawing lots is, you know, that's you know basically somebody. And I don't know if you you pick out little uh, sticks or whatever. Whoever gets the short stick, you have to sacrifice yourself as the victim. And so they were kind of talking back and forth, you know, let's draw the lots. No, I don't want to draw the lots. And, you know, they just kept talking about this. And eventually, the so they couldn't come to an agreement. Eventually, the Richard Parker, the, the, the young boy, the 17-year-old, he falls into a coma probably because he's not eating or drinking in the heat and they don't have any cover or shade or anything like that out in the middle of the ocean. And he's young, you know, and so he falls into a coma and Captain Dudley and, and Stevens and Edmund Brooks, the other guy, they start talking about drawing the lots. And apparently Edmund Brooks, he didn't want to draw the lots. And, and, and so you had Dudley and Stevens, they are kind of, you know, basically, I don't know if it was a wink and a nod or however it went down. But the next day, you know, they sort of agreed to kill Richard Parker, the 17-year-old boy, and eat him for survival. So that was the plan. And so you have you have Parker who was in a coma. He wasn't, you know, you you're, you can come out of a coma. So it's not like he was gonna die for sure. But you know, he certainly wasn't in good shape. So he's in a coma. And you got these other two guys plotting to kill him prior to his natural death. And the reason they want to do that is because they wanted to preserve his blood, because they wanted to drink his blood. And, you know, if you waited till he died, you know, it gets, gets rigor mortis or whatever happens. Again, I'm not an expert in these kinds of things, but, you know, that's what their plan was. So, so Dooley, the captain, Dudley, I should say, Dudley takes a penknife, and and was like kind of just a knife and Stevens holds him, holds down the legs of Richard Parker just in case he wakes up or tries to move. Um Brooks is doing nothing, apparently, there was some dispute as to whether or not he was agreeing to the whole thing or didn't agree or just too tired to care or but you know he wasn't apparently was not participating in this so Dudley, the captain of the boat, he's taking a penknife. The other guy, Stevens, is holding him down, and he stabs him in the jugular vein and kills him and So Richard Parker's dead, and that's kind of. What happened? So now that was, you know, like I said, that was about the 25th. So that was about 20 days into the, uh, so imagine being out in the ocean, you have to put yourself there. Imagine being 20 days out in the ocean, you're not eating, you're not drinking, you're starving, you're probably delirious. Um, and in in the facts of the case were that Captain Dudley and Stevens had wives and families. Apparently, the other ones did not. And so they kind of thought, you know, we have kind of a duty to do this. We have wives and families and, you know, Parker's going to die. He's got a coma anyway. And, you know, Brooks can't sound like Brooks wasn't quite sure what he was going to do. or So, you know, they took it upon themselves to try to save their own um skin and increase their chances of survival so this is was the plan they hatched now that's kind of the question in this case i mean what would you do if you were there like does anybody know and so i was just fascinated running through this thing just going like uh, what's the law what should the law be i you know i can't even think about it it seems that if you're in there and your life is on the line and you can't figure out what to do, that you know, maybe, maybe you should take the weakest person. But is that moral? Is it ethical? Is it within the law? I mean, was there any common law or any statutory law specifically addressing this issue? Well, um, what happened is they were eventually rescued four days after the killing. They were eventually rescued by a German boat, And again, bear in mind, they're out there sort of in the middle of the water. They're not in England. They're not in Australia. They're in between. So they take them back to England and, and Dudley and Stevens, the two that were actually eventually put on trial, they said, you know, they really didn't think they did anything wrong. They thought it was what they called the customs of the sea. And so when they got back, they had to make these statutory statements under the Merchant Shipping Act, they were taken back to England. And they made these statements candidly and said, this is what happened. You know, we did this. And yeah, we, you know, it was, we were dying. You know, we we're just trying to save ourselves. And, you know, Parker was, uh, he was in a coma and he wasn't going to last long. So, um, you know, we have families and wives. And so that was kind of the um, the um, statements that they made. And the public sentiment was, was, was on their side. They said, you know, I think the public sentiment was, yeah, you know, I would probably do the same thing. You know, it's survival. It's the law of the jungle. You got, you know, you do what you have to do to survive. So I think the the prevailing uh, public opinion was even in their favor. Um, And there was a point where, you know, even Richard Parker's brother, had come in and you know shook the hands of the survivors and you know apparently his own brother didn't have any problems with um what these three you know what these two i should say had done now all three partook in in eating uh richard parker and parts of his body and drinking his blood so there was no question that they were all involved but it was dudley and stevens who had kind of agreed to the plan and and carried it out so what happened is they eventually um you know we had some there was no real law in this area and so there was a lot of back and forth about you know the, the what were they going to do the judges wanted to try to make to wanted to try to make this the common law so that everybody understood that you know necessity is not a defense to murder but there was no actual case law on it. There was no st- actual statute that dealt with it. So, you know, so what happened eventually is the two were uh, not released. They thought they were going to get released, but they, they got arrest warrants. They arrested them, and they put them up for trial. And there's a lot of talk in the case about the judge really wanting to you know, make sure that this that, you know, that the law was going to go down this way and it was going to be a murder case. So my understanding of the case was there was no manslaughter, um, jury jury instruction to the jury. And they, they just didn't want them to think about manslaughter or passion killings or anything less than than, you know, murder, you know, because they had hatched out this plan and did it. So as things turned out, they basically were tried, they were eventually convicted, and they got the death penalty. So, you know, you had that, but there was also a recommendation of clemency or leniency or mercy. And eventually, at the end of the day, all things, when everything played out, they were sentenced to six months in jail. And that was the outcome. So, um, you know, it was a really, to me, was just, I mean, this is, you got to understand, this is just like one case that I read in a, you know, in a uh, introduction to law class. And I was just kind of blown away. And I was just like, wow, I'd never in undergraduate school, I had never had any kinds of classes that would, you know, allow you to think about these kinds of issues. And, you know, to really capture humanity and and see, you know, what is the law? What is what is ethics? What is moral in this situation? You know, um, so it was really interesting. Um, again, it showed kind of the power of common law, where you don't have any established laws. Um, the law of the sea argument that didn't work. The customs of the sea argument didn't work. But you had lawyers fighting for that. You had. Um, Brooks came in and he testified against the others, but he also had to admit that he was a part of this whole scheme. I believe um, the two defendants, Dudley and Stevens, I believe they took the fifth and so they didn't really take the stand or anything. So you had a lot of procedure, you had public opinion, you had um, questions over jurisdiction, you know, this, you know, the murder happened in the middle of the water, you know, why is it being heard back in England under the the royal court? So, you know, again, this was to me, it was just like a fascinating case. And, you know, this was just one of them, you know, and so for me, it was four years of law school really going through so many different scenarios like that. And then when You know, people say... You know, when you get out of law school, you're going to be a totally different person. Well, why do you think? I mean, think about all of this thinking and studying and philosophizing and comparing precedents, looking for precedent. Think about what it does to your to your mind. And if you have really good teachers that can help guide you through that, the pros and the cons. And when you're hearing other students with their opinions, some some will say, you know, they have absolutely no right to kill them. And others would say, well, yes, they do. And, you know, to hear those conversations play out in a, in a classroom setting, you know, to me was just, it was just exhilarating. And, you know, I loved every, I literally loved every minute of law school. I mean, yeah, at some point you wanted to get over just like everything else, because you want to get out there and start making some money. But I mean, this is what the kinds of things you can expect. Um, Some classes are better than others, just depends what you like. But I mean, these are the kinds of things that you can study in law school. So, if that sounds of interest to you, you know, law school may be a good bet for you. So, but I just wanted to share that story with you because I know I get a lot of questions from a lot of people saying, Should I do it? Is it too late? Um, What's it like? You know, I don't know if it's for me. Well, one way to find out is to take an intro class. Another way is you don't even need to take a class. Go out and go to a law library and pull out a case book and just you know pick out pick a topic of interest to you. Uh, maybe it's criminal law, maybe it's international business, maybe it's copyright law. Pick out something and start reading through the cases and see if you like them. Ultimately uh when you do become a lawyer you know you want to practice in an area of law that you do find interest in but i mean you get so much um to me some such a great education if you go to the right school and you know you you know you really go essentially go all in on your education but i mean that's my story that's a case that changed it all for me made it made me sure what i wanted to do and you know honestly i have never looked back it's been the greatest decision of my life, and I hope for somebody out there, if you're listening, you know, I hope this has the impact on you one way or the other. Like I said, if it's not for you, um, you feel more interested in doing something like in a business uh, side of life, buy low and sell high, you can go do that as well. So, Attorney Steve Vondran, I hope you enjoyed this. If you want to check out my website, you can find me at attorneysteve.com. If you haven't seen any of my videos yet, we're doing really well. We're up to about 6,500 subscribers on my video channel. You can go to attorneystevevideos.com. That's attorneystevevideos.com. And make sure to subscribe and keep up on some of the legal information we have coming out. So I hope that's been helpful. I'm just here paying it forward, trying to help people make the tough decisions in life. And uh, that's just my story of the day. All right. Have a great night, y'all.